0: I want to read to you today from the very beginning of this holy book. We'll go to Genesis. We'll go to the first chapter. And originally I thought about reading the entire chapter, but I zeroed in on a few verses. And even that in, the, in your bulletin, I think I'm going to go back. And I'm going to start with the 24th verse and then read to, uh, to 31. 31. This is what the writer of Genesis wrote. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God's blessing on the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. As I begin today, this is... uh, Actually, the, the second of a bookend series on stewardship. Last week, we talked about the stewardship of you. Not your money, not your treasures, not your time, not your talents. You. Who are you working for? How hard are you working? Are you working for the kingdom? Because that's what God has asked us to do. I'm concerned about the stewardship of each and every one of us, including moi. And so today, I wanted to take another different tack. I was hoping to be outside so that we would all be able to firsthand enjoy his creation. And there's still time. We could all run out to the pavilion. But I wanted us to be immersed in his creation, not that this isn't part of his creation, but sometimes we really just simply need to take the time to smell the roses, to look at the grass, to see the trees, to watch the sun rise and sunset Because in our own individual lives, things happen very, very quickly. And sometimes, let's admit it, we don't take the time. So today I wanted to do that. In this sermon, I wanted just to challenge you. Challenge you to think about God's creation and everything that he has given to you to enjoy. Because I believe that most of the time, a lot of the time, we take things for granted. Now, I have already been advised that I am no longer to plan any outdoor events for Centenary United Methodist Church. (laughs) Unless we are steeped in a drought, I cannot plan any outdoor events, because when I plan something, it rains. Or if it doesn't rain, it rains really hard, and then it clears up. Fourth of July, more than a year ago. So I can't plan any more events outside. And I do want to tell you that while this may be the last sermon in stewardship, that doesn't mean that we end thinking about stewardship. That doesn't mean we end thinking about how are we working, what kind of talent are we giving to the Lord, are we giving our due amount of treasure to the Lord? Are we really worshiping God by what we give? You know, next week we'll start a new series. It's entitled Great Expectations, and I hope that you will be here. It's talking about the expectations that all of us have for God. But on the flip side of that coin, the expectations that God has for us. Sometimes it's like a one-way street. We expect lots from God. But do we really understand what God expects from us? But that's, not, that's next week. We're not going to worry about that today. We're going about to worry about the stewardship of his creation. There was a man who got lost in the desert, and after wandering around for a long time, he was literally dying of thirst until he saw a small cabin in the distance, a little shack in the distance. And he made his way over to that shack, and lo and behold, he found a water pump right outside that shack with a jug of water and a note by it. And the note had these words written on it, said, pour all the water into the top of the pump to prime it. If you do this, you will get all the water that you need, but be sure to refill the jug. Now, the man had a choice to make. He could trust the note, pour all the water there, and if it worked, indeed, he would have all the water he needed. If it didn't work, he might very well die of thirst. Or he could choose simply to drink the water in the jug, slake his thirst, But maybe it wouldn't be all the water that he needed. And in fact, he would end up being thirsty anyway. So he could choose to drink the water and get immediate satisfaction. But that might not be enough. He might die. So after thinking about it, the man took the risk. He poured the entire jug into the pump and began to pump the handle. And at first, nothing happened. And you can imagine what he was thinking. I've wasted all of that water, and I'm not going to get anything in return. And then, lo and behold, all the water pours forth. The water starts coming up, and he has more water than he knows what to do with. He fills every container that he finds. He fills a bathtub so he can ba- fill a, take a shower or take a bath underneath that water. And then he fills the jug and leaves it there with the note so that someone else coming might be able to do the same thing that he did. Who among you has not been stunned by the splendor of a sunset or a sunrise? Who among you hasn't experienced that crystal crispness of spring mountain waters as they flow in a stream or a river? Who among you hasn't experienced the brilliant autumn leaves and the coolness of of the air as fall comes upon us. Who among you has an experience glistening icicles or snow in trees or on the ground where it looks like a million diamonds as the sun sparkles and hits the snow? No words can adequately describe the dignity of God's created order. Every day the sun rises And often we take that for granted. But it should bring forth adoration and praise every day. And we should take time to enjoy it. Every mountain, every hillside, every valley is filled with God's splendor. And we need to take time to see it and to enjoy it. I am always, always amazed at God's handiwork. And I hope you are too. The stewardship of creation, his creation, is not a new idea. You find it right here in the very first chapter of the book. It begins that way. We are asked to be keepers of creation. Recycling cans, recycling glass, recycling paper, recycling stuff as we become a a more and more consumer-oriented culture and we get piles of stuff. That's a way that we can be good stewards. Driving less or purchasing more efficient, fuel-efficient cars, that's a better way to do it. Matter of fact, I desperately need to get a better fuel-efficient car because my truck drinks too much gasoline. I'm not being a good steward. Finding ways that we can renew our natural resources so that we have more and don't just simply expend that which we have. Sometimes it's going to require changes of lifestyles, and probably you all have experienced this in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Every time you fill your gas tank, every time you're at the grocery store, I don't even know where they do this anymore, paper or plastic. They don't even do that anymore. Don't they just give you plastic? What's happening to all that plastic we got? Every time we make one of those kind of decisions, we're affecting not only ourselves but all of our future generations. Don't think that you aren't affecting creation on, based on your decisions. How many of you live in areas where they recycle? Anybody? Everybody have a recycling can that they push out to the curb? Some of you do. That's good. I got you, Jamie. Have you ever noticed other people in your neighborhood that maybe they have a recycling can but they don't use it? Have you ever watched when the garbage can or garbage truck pulls up and they pull out the garbage and they got mounds and mounds of paper and glass and plastic that they've decided to throw away because what? We're too lazy to recycle. It's another step we got to do. Are we being good stewards? Are we being good stewards of that which God has blessed us in this creation? Everybody should have a recycled bin of some sort, but it's certainly easier to throw away than it is to recycle. And aren't we known for going the easy path sometimes? All of us are. And when we do that, we're rebelling. We're rebelling against God's creation. When we live beyond our means, when we accumulate a bunch of stuff I'll raise my hand first and foremost when we accumulate a bunch of stuff that is in excess, what are we doing? You know, I've told you about golf clubs before. I don't know whether that's part of God's creation, but I'm going to say it is. But you can only play with 14. I got 200. I don't know what I'm going to do with those other 100, and whatever that is. What am I doing? I'm being a poor steward of that which is around me. I'm being a poor steward. Sometimes when we think about clean air or clean water, We get fouled up. He says, oh, there's enough clean air. Oh, there's enough water. I can remember flying helicopters in Southern California. Steve will probably agree with me on this, but when you climbed out of Southern California, this is down south of Los Angeles by Santa Ana, it was a literal layer, yellow-brown layer that you popped out of. Below you was smog. Above you was some semblance of air. But it was definite, and you could see it, and you could smell it. You might not smell it when you're down there on the ground, but when you pop out of it, it's like a line right across the horizon. we got a lot of emissions. Are we taking care of God's creation? Are we doing what we've been asked to do? You know, this first chapter of Genesis is a gift to us because it explains so many things. And the word that was originally used for the word create was something that was specifically for God. It highlighted God's ability. It was the exclusive right of God, this word that they used for create in Genesis. The biblical writer was attempting to say something specific, saying that God was creating something in his creation that was beyond any of our capabilities, beyond any human capability, God was creating something majestic and specific. The creation of which we are a part bears the mark of God. There is no other influence on that creation but the mark of God. God created the world out of nothing, that's what we're told, and the entire first chapter pulsates with his creative touch Look at the phraseology. I didn't read the whole thing to you, but when you get a chance, to read it. God said, God saw, God created, God called, God made, God appointed, God divided, God ended, God rested, God blessed, God sanctified. It's all about God and his marvelous touch in this creation. Those words describe the very creative activity of God. And the most that any of us can say about creation is that we're a part of it. We are most definitely a part of it. Our lives are fashioned and guided by God. And long before we could ever think of him or love him, he thought of us and loved us. And that's why he gave us this creation to use properly, to be keepers of. You know, one day we're going to have to stand before the judgment throne and we're going to have to answer questions. Boy, I hope that's God on the phone. We're going to have to answer questions. Lots of questions. But just like repaying the, mo- the bank our money for mortgages or returning the lawnmower to our neighbor, which we borrowed, we're going to have to make an accounting. He's going to say, what have you done with your body? What have you done with the gifts that I've given you? What have you done with the calling that I placed on your heart? How about your family or your spouse or your children, your grandchildren? What have you done with those blessings? What have you done with my church? What have you done with my creation?" What did you do with that beautiful, majestic creation that I gave you an opportunity to live in and to be a part of? And we can't blame our lack of stewardship on anything else. We know what we're supposed to do. We are keepers of creation. And that adage applies to all of us. To whom much is given, much is expected. To whom much is given, much is expected. First... As part of our stewardship of creation, we need to develop lifestyles that are sensitive to the resources of this world and to its people. We need to think about that as more than just a passing glance. We've got to be aware of waste and pollution and what we're digging up or what farmlands we're paving over with parking lots. We've got to stop misusing everything simply because it's all about us and it's not going to be about anybody else. We need to be careful about our pursuit of the good life. This goes back to our materialism again. Somehow we think that all these resources are for us, and we can use them just ad infinitum. Water, air, energy. The more we use, the better we feel, and what do we have left? And what are we going to say? Well, we don't care. That's somebody else's problem. It is. It is. That's your problem. That's your children's problem. That's your grandchildren's problem. And when we make decisions about resources, we have to remember those. Not just talking about yourself, not just talking about your church. How about Danville? Talking about your community? Talking about your family and friends? Talking about your children and your grandchildren? What are you going to leave them? If you don't do something about it, if you're not keepers of creation, if you're not good stewards of what God gave you, don't you think you're going to have to be accountable for that? We need to question seriously this materialism that we have. We got more and more stuff. In Bardstown, there was somebody who lived behind us. They were nice people, but they had four cars, no garage, single car driveway, and four cars. There were only three people in the family, but they had four cars. I'm sure there was a good reason, and I'm not not zeroing them out to judge them. But I'm saying, hey, how many can you drive? Like how many golf clubs can I use? How many cars can you drive? Those are good questions to ask. We need to remember those things. We got to be concerned about how much we buy and what we're going to do with it. We got to be careful about having too much stuff. Do we have really need what we have? Or do you think you need more? we got to be careful about our expectations of science and technology. You know, a lot of the times we talk about what we can do scientifically or technically speaking to get rid of some of the problems that we have, and science and technology are very, very important, and they're going to be extremely helpful in our world, but they are not an end unto themselves. They're not going to dish us out for being rebels and being poor stewards of creation. There's only so much science and technology can do. So don't think it's an end-all. And perhaps the most important part of our stewardship and God's creation is when we look around these resources and decide this is a good way to make a buck. Because what does the world revolve around? Revolve around? Money. Money. I think mean, that's a terrible thing to say, but it's a pragmatic thing to say. It's realistic. You know, every, every Monday or Tuesday I go in and ask Rika, how are we doing? And I'm not talking about our health. Talk about how we're doing money-wise. That's not really the thing I should be asking. We're always concerned about money. Somewhere along the line, money drives us. And money drives us in being good stewards of this creation. Let me give you a couple examples. There are about 100 million sharks killed every year. And out of those 100 million, about 73 million of them end up being used for what's known as shark fin soup. It's a delicacy. Started in China, has spread, but as a result there are species of sharks that are on the brink of extinction because everybody wants a little shark fin soup. Now I know what you're saying. I don't really like sharks anyway. You can kill all of them for all I care. Or We're not having shark fin soup for lunch, so what should I care? You sure? Let me give you another example. There's a booming illegal trade in rhino horns, rhinoceros horns. They are often ground into a powder and ingested for treatment from everything from cancer to sea snake bites to hangovers. On the black market in South Africa, the horn of a white rhino sells for up to $3,000 a pound. Money talks, folks. Money talks. The white rhino populations have literally been wiped off the face of the earth. There are two left in northern Africa. They are both female. How do you think that's going to work? I know what you're saying. I don't care much for rhinos either, and I'm not going to take that powder and ingest it in any way, shape, or form for anything that I got, right? One more. How much that you think we got left? Do you know? You should care. Matter of fact, this is called smart water. I'm not sure why it's called smart water, but it's really good. How much water do we have left, folks? 844 million people on this globe live without access to fresh water. 844 million. 2.3 million people live without access, access to improved sanitation. Two out of every nine people lack access to safe water. One out of every three lack access to a toilet. You guys are living the life of Riley's, right? Because there's a drinking fountain out there, and I know there are a couple of restrooms out there. Every 90 seconds, every 90 seconds, a child dies because of a water-related disease. That means while I've been up here talking to you, 10 children on this globe have died because of a water-related disease. We don't think about that when we're sitting here, but it's an honest-to-goodness truth. Every 90 seconds. 1.6 million people die every year because of water or sanitation or hygiene-related problems. We are struggling to be good stewards of everything around us, and that includes the water we drink, the water we cook with, the water we bathe in. And just so you don't think, I'm not a tree hugger, folks. I'm not a tree hugger. I'm just saying we need to think about this and challenge ourselves to do better than what we've got because it ain't going to last forever. Although I do have another bottle of this in my office if you're anxious to try it. When I read this chapter in Genesis, I am always reminded of Michelangelo's depiction of creation of man on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I've had the opportunity to stand in the Sistine Chapel and to take in his work, and it is absolutely incredible. It is a talent that God blessed him with And that he used to the glory of God. And if you've never been there, if you've never seen it, I guarantee it is a trip well worth taking. But if you will look to the middle of the center of the ceiling, you will see that famous picture. Adam is reclined, looking a little dreamy-eyed, a dull expression. As he looks and turns toward the inquiring expression of God who hovers over him clothed in a mantle from heaven. And all is in readiness for that moment as their fingers reach out right before the touch. That miracle of the divine spark that we have received from our Father leaping from his outreached finger into ours, making us what we are today. For without that divine spark, without God's touch in our lives, we are simply an earthbound clod. We might be higher than other kinds of creatures, but we're really not what we're supposed to be. It is only in his touch in our lives can we truly be what God has always wanted us to be. And in that divine moment... God imbues us with his spiritual spark. We are created not only in his image, but we have his divine spark in each of us. And because of that, he has made us for a purpose. He has made us to be keepers of his creation. He has made us to worship him, to be in relationship with him, and to watch over that which he has blessed us with. Keepers of creation, it's a heavy responsibility It's an important responsibility. Being stewards is a great privilege, but it is also a great task. Guaranteeing that small jug of water remains filled is an awesome responsibility. We are an invaluable part of this creation. It is proclaimed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And he expects us to do something with that which he has given us. As I close, I'm reminded of verse 28 that I read to you, but I want to I read it from the Good News Bible instead. I think the Good News Bible really sums up what I'm trying to tell you as keepers of creation because that version interprets the 28th verse, verse of Genesis this way. Listen to me. He created them male and female, blessed them, And said, have many children so that your descendants will live all over the earth and bring it under their control. I am putting you in charge of the fish and the birds and the wild animals. I am putting you in charge of the fish and the birds and the wild animals. Don't you think it's time that we started taking that responsibility seriously? And if so, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? We need to be good stewards of this awesome, majestic creation that he has given us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Please.